a number of times spoken uh, from the life of Jacob. And this morning I would like once more to bring some more thoughts from the life of Jacob. In this one verse that we have here in Hebrews 11, which sums up the whole life of a man, uh, this whole chapter, in fact, sums up in God's sight the values of each of these different saints' uh, lives and characters. We're told of Jacob that there were two things that he became. He became first a blessing and secondly a worshipper. And in a sense, these two things are the greatest characteristics of any child of God. They sum up everything. Manward to be a blessing. Godward to be a worshipper. There can be no real uh, usefulness in any life if it's lived to itself. There can be really no real value in our lives if at the end of our lives we've not influenced any others, if we've not somehow touched others, if we've not been constructive as far as others are concerned. The life that all the time has a kind of spirit, uh, an atmosphere of, of uh, spiritual grabbing, it wants, it must have, it takes everything. It's all its attitude to every gathering, to every service, to every message, is what did I get out of it? Did I receive anything? Did I uh, benefit by that? Uh, is a life that is not in God's sight of real value. It's missed the point. God's whole point in our lives is that we should be servants and that we should somehow or other become a blessing to others. So, this word blessing uh, really, in many ways, sums up um, what God would like to see in each of our lives. He would like to see each one of us a blessing to others. When others come into your presence, they say, so-and-so is a blessing. And every time I touch that brother or that sister, I get a blessing. There's a blessing somehow in their very presence, about their very behavior, about their, their very um, manner. There's just a blessing wrapped up with them. Just to have them is a blessing. Now, every one of us should be like that. We should be a blessing. And you know, this word blessing is a very interesting one. It, the root idea of it is happiness. We should somehow or other bring some kind of joy to others. We should somehow or other bring to other lives a, a, um, a happiness. We contribute something to one another. And then, of course, on the other side, to be a worshipper. You know... What God looks for in each of our lives is not first service, that is sort of speaking in his behalf or 
um, testifying in his behalf or much activity for him or around him. He looks for worship. Because no man has really started to know God till he has started to be a worshipper. We were created to worship. And worship is the key to our, our relationship with God. Now the thing that comforts me is that Jacob, at the end of his life, it could be said of Jacob that he became these two things. He became a blessing, a man who by his very nature was the absolute opposite to a blessing. Far from being a blessing, he took everything he could from everyone. From being a blessing to us, he was a curse to others. He was a curse to his brother. He was a curse to his father. He was a curse to Laban. He was someone who, as soon as you uh, had him in your presence, you've got to watch him. Otherwise, you'd find you'd be divested of everything. Divested of your possessions, divested of your birthright, divested of your blessing, divested of your daughters, divested of your flock. He was the kind of man who was unscrupulous. He, far from, from bringing a blessing to you, he was someone who took everything from you. And that, by deceitful ways and means, he couldn't help it. It wasn't that he set out deliberately to be a curse. He just couldn't help it. It was in him. It was Jacob. So to me, it is a tremendous comfort to find that when the Lord sums up Jacob's life, he doesn't tell us that he was a twister. He doesn't tell us about his failure. He doesn't tell us about um, the many sad aspects of his life. He says, by faith, Jacob blessed. In other words, Jacob had, by the grace of God, become a blessing at the end of his life to others. And then again, a worshipper. What a comfort this is to me. If there was anyone who was the absolute opposite of what worship means, it was Jacob. He didn't know the first thing about worship. He didn't know what really it meant to worship the Lord. Even when the Lord gives him a vision of himself, a dream in the night, you know, Jacob couldn't help it. He got up the next day after being frightened to death, because remember in his dreams, oh, how dreadful this place is. It's none other than the house of God. He was frightened of it. But the old Jacob got on top. No sooner was the morning, had the morn come. Uh, and, he, and he says to the Lord, now then, Lord, if, uh, if you bring me back to this place, then I'll build you so and so and so. See, there wasn't worship. There was the old bargaining spirit. This was Jacob's natural relationship, his normal relationship with God. It wasn't one of worship. It wasn't one of just giving everything to the Lord. No, it's what shall I get out of it, Lord? If you do so and 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 so for me in our relationship, then I'll do so and so and so and so and so and so and so for you. That's not worship. You see, to me it is therefore a very great comfort that at the end of this man's life, 
he became two things. He became a blessing and he became a worshipper. And it says that it was through faith that he became so. Now this to me is a great comfort. Because as far as I can see, it means this. That there was no other possibility in Jacob's sight of his either becoming a blessing to anyone or a worshipper of God than by the grace of God. So he must have believed, he must have hoped against hope, he must have believed against what he saw until the miracle took place. It was through faith he became a blessing. It wasn't that gradually as Jacob got older he felt more and more of a blessing. He felt somehow more and more of a, of a sort of quality in his life that was being a blessing to others. No, it was through faith that he became a blessing. What does that mean? Through faith Jacob blessed the sons of Joseph when he was dying. Do you know what it means, I believe? He was so conscious of, him, of his own unworthiness so conscious of what he was that he had to take a step in faith in blessing those two boys. And so in faith, sheer faith in the Lord, he, he, he went ahead and blessed those sons. And scripture says this is the point. He did more, as it were, in that one act than in the rest of his life. He'd become a blessing. And he worshipped. Don't you think that the enemy must have been very near to Jacob uh, in his relationship with the Lord? Don't you think that the nearer he got to the Lord, the more aware he must have become of his past, of his history, and much else? It says, by faith he worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. You see, it, it meant that if he were to look at things as they were, if he were to take account of his history, if he were just to see the mess of things he had made naturally, he couldn't have worshipped the Lord. A cloud would have come between him and the Lord immediately. It would have robbed him of his worship. But by faith he worshipped. So this is a great comfort to me. First it was Jacob, a man like Jacob, that God turned into a blessing and into uh, a worshipper. A blessing, yes, a blessing to everyone in the end. He even blessed Pharaoh, uh, the greatest potentate at that time of the world. And it, is say, it says in Scripture that, therefore, you see, Jacob was greater than Pharaoh because he that blesses is greater than he that is blessed. What a thing to become. This Jacob should become a blessing so that even Pharaoh craves after the blessing of this man. And a worshipper of God. And you know, I think the secret to it, of this for our comfort is found in the one in whom he had faith. You, you see, where was his faith? Through faith. He, um, through faith, he blessed the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. Faith in what? In himself? Faith in the other uh, children of God around him? No. And this is the point. His faith was in the God of Jacob. And that's the key. You see.
I'm so glad that uh, the Lord's name that he uses so often in, in the Old Testament is the God of Jacob. Supposing he'd called himself the God of Enoch. Supposing he'd called himself the God of Moses. Supposing he'd called himself the God of Samuel. Supposing he'd called himself the God of Elijah. It wouldn't have been the same. It would have been wonderful. But it wouldn't have been the same comfort to me or you. But again and again and again, the Lord calls himself the God of Jacob. And this is the key to the transformation of Jacob into a blessing and into a worshipper. The God of Jacob was the key. Because the Lord had said, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. That's the key. The love of the Lord, the love of God for Jacob was the key to it. You see, the Lord wouldn't let Jacob go in spite of what he was. He loved him into a blessing. And he loved him into a worshipper. At the end, it was the God of Jacob who had transformed Jacob into Israel. Well, there are three things I think we could just very briefly summarize about Jacob's whole life. How can you become a blessing? How can you become a, a worshipper? We're all like Jacob to some degree or another. None of us, I think, are worse than Jacob in this room. Some of us might be as bad as but the Lord seems to have taken the one who is the worst of all, the bottom, to give us the greatest comfort. How can you and I, who are so Jacob-like, how can we become a blessing to others? How can we become a worshipper? Well, the first thing I learn from Jacob's life is self-knowledge. Self-revelation. No man can become a blessing to another, a real and a valuable blessing, a spiritual blessing to another, until he knows what he is, until he becomes aware of his limitations, until he becomes aware of what he is not only by nature but, and temperament, but what he is by background, what he is as a human being. Now, I've often spoken on this, and I don't intend to uh, spend uh, very long on it. But you see, it's all summed up in one little um, part of Genesis, where Jacob had a vision. <clears throat> he had left his home. It's in chapter 28. He had a tremendous vision of the Lord in a place called that he afterwards called Bethel. And in verse 18, it's a, it says, um, oh, well, I, I think we'll read from verse 20. Uh, Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, will give me bread to eat, raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. And the Lord will be my God. Then this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. 
and of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. You see, the whole point about Jacob was this. He was not conscious he was a twister. He couldn't, he couldn't at all for the Lord like this. He not only twisted the birthright out of his brother and the blessing, he had not only deceived his own father, but now he was trying to bargain with God. He was going to try, with all his powers, to somehow get the better of God. You see, it was as if the Lord revealed something to Jacob, and now what the Lord revealed to Jacob, he was going to use. He couldn't help it. The thing was in him. Now, the point that I'm making is this. He wasn't conscious of it. He was conscious, of course, of his brother's hatred and of his father's sorrow. And this had had some effect on him. But he was not conscious of what was in him. And so we find this man who is a supplanter, a twister, a deceiver, a man who has the most amazing capacity for uh, deceiving and somehow bargaining, we find him saying to the Lord, I will build thee a house. Now you know that's like most of us. When we first come to the Lord, you know, we say, Lord, I'll give you my life. Lord, I'll give you my talent. Lord, I'll give you my time. I'll build you the house, Lord. All this marvelous talk about the building up of the house of God. Of course we'll do it, Lord, you see. Of course we now and again notice that we seem to upset this one or that one or the other, but we're not really conscious of it. We're, we're sorry because we get hurt, you see, really. Jacob's sorrow at this point was uh, from loneliness. His mother, whom he adored, had had to, to, to send him away. And now he was sorry for himself. He wasn't conscious that he was the cause of it all. But he was sorry for the results. He was lonely. He was homesick. He, he, he was a, a, like a, um, uh, a refugee. Now, you see, the point is this. He starts his lesson. The Lord puts him with Laban. And uh, if there was one whole man in the East at that time who was a match for Jacob, it was Laban. So uh, his dear uncle Laban and Jacob spent some 21 years double-crossing one another. And that double-crossing went pretty deep. It wasn't just a, a little, you, you smile, but it did. Uh, he worked seven years for the woman he loved. And on his wedding night, in the, the morning after, he found it with Leah. Now that may seem very funny, but I mean it just shows the depths to which Laban's could, Laban could go. Really? Double crossing. So he'd met his match. Jacob, for the first time, again come up somewhere against someone else who was as big a match as himself. He had robbed his brother of birthright and blessing. Now he found someone else who was robbing him of his very time. Seven years and you can have Rachel. But instead, too late, he found he'd got Leah. So Uncle Laban said, oh, that's all right, my boy. Another seven years, and you can have Rachel. You just come and uh, just work on. You see, Uncle Laban knew a good thing. 
I have no doubt that though Jacob was a twister, he was a good worker. No doubt about that. And Uncle Laban wanted the work. You see, the flocks were increasing. Everything was prospering under the hand of Jacob. Laban saw a good thing. And then after 14 years, I think Jacob was sick of Laban. He wanted to go, but uh, Laban wouldn't let him. Work another seven years, he said. And you can have the flocks. But this time it was too much for Jacob. And you know the story, how Jacob deliberately uh, weeded out the flock so that Laban got all the weak ones and he got all the strong ones. And uh, You know the story. The point was the two of them double-crossed each other until Jacob came, obviously, to the conclusion that he saw himself reflected in his uncle. Self-revelation. Now, you see, it wasn't only in his uncle that he saw himself. It wasn't long before he saw himself in Leah. Because if you read the story, you find that Leah now starts to double-cross Jacob. She brings in nice food, you see, so that he won't go to Rachel, but will come to her. And the double-crossing begins all over again. And poor Jacob now, he's in the midst of everyone who's double-crossing everyone else. He who had gained so much by deceit now began to find that everyone else was deceitful. Everyone around him. And then his beloved Rachel, whom he evidently adored. On their way out, you know, she hid all the family gods, the thing he detested. And uh, uh, there she was, sitting on the camel with all these wretched idols under the saddle. And when uh, Uncle Laban rode out and said, someone pinched the family gods, all the family treasures gone. And some, because the idols were encrusted, were very valuable and so on. And uh, you remember, Rachel said, I can't get down, I'm not feeling very well. And now, of course, Jacob, in righteous indignation, was furious with his Uncle Laban. You see, Jacob had started to be righteous. Jacob, for the first time in his life now, was beginning to be, to be true. No, no, he said, I haven't got them. And there was a great row developed. Until after he'd sent his poor uncle away, he found that when Rachel got down, all the things were under the saddle. His beloved Rachel had double-crossed him in front of her own father. Now, you see, you laugh at it, but you see, the point is this. God taught Jacob those lessons about himself through other people. All those that were closest to him, he began to see himself in them. I've no doubt there must have been times when Jacob must have wept into his pillow, if he had such a thing, at night. There must have been times when he was absolute despair. Isn't there anyone who's true? Isn't there anyone who's honest in this place? Isn't there anyone that you can depend upon? Even my own. Rachel will, will twist and deceive. See? But he was learning a lesson. For the first time he must have known what it, what it, uh, the, the harm and the hurt and the injury that must have been Esau's and his father's and others. As he found himself on the receiving end, so he understood, you see, what it must have been like for others when he gave. 
So one of the things about becoming a blessing is that first you've got to be exposed. And most of us are such very nice, so very nice people, especially in our own estimate, when we come to the Lord. Oh, of course we're silly. We all know that. But there are so, there's a whole realm about us that we're not aware of, we don't know. But through the people we work with, through the people we live with, through our brothers and sisters in the church, we begin to discover that they are like a mirror. And we see ourselves in them. At first, of course, we won't admit it. But again and again, the same image comes back. And you see yourself in one another. So this is a very important thing. A man can't become a worshipper when he's living a deceived life. You see, the point about Jacob was he had deceived himself into thinking that he was not a deceiver. He had no idea what was in him. Until he began to wake up. Finally then, we, we, we ought to remember uh, that he left Laban in absolute despair. There's no doubt about that. He thought he'd gone there, he thought everything was going to be wonderful. But no, he discovered himself. And now a tremendous hunger had developed within him. A great need. And this is the other thing about being a blessing. To others and becoming a worshipper of God. Spiritual experience, he came to the place we call Jabbok, and there the angel of the Lord wrestled with him, or he wrestled with the angel of the Lord, till the breaking of the day. Now that would never have come about before. Jacob didn't believe in wrestling. There are much easier ways of getting a blessing out of someone than wrestling with them. What, a whole night up? Expending all that energy when it's much easier to do it in other ways. What about the old Jacob who'd, who'd said to the Lord, Now, Lord, um, let's have a bargain about this. If you do so and so, so I'll build you the house. This is a different Jacob, isn't it? This Jacob's down to reality. This Jacob's got hold of the angel of the Lord in a clinch and he won't let him go. And the angel of the Lord, strong as he is, was wrestling and saying, let me go. But Jacob wouldn't let him go. He clung on to him. That must have been a terrific wrestling match. It went on the whole night. It went on the whole night when the others had gone to bed. It started, and at the breaking of the day, it finished. All through the hours of the night, six, seven hours, these two wrestled backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. Whatever must it have been like? It is the most amazing picture. What's happened to Jacob? Jacob, what's happened to you? you? You've always found you can get everything, everything you want. You've always been able by that, that lovely, suave, smooth speaking to get what you want out of anyone. What's happened to Jacob? Ah, if we could have seen Jacob. Jacob was desperate. Jacob was desperate. He wanted to be done with deceit. He wanted, he wanted to have done with all that was a facade, all this mixture, all this compromise. He wanted to, he wanted to, he was sick of himself. That's all. Now that will never come without self-revelation. Never. We have all got this wonderful sort of idea that somehow spiritual things must come easily. 
and to us they will. We hear of people like Charles Wesley and others who spent the night up and others, but for us it won't be like that. I mean, surely in a little meeting we can just bow our heads and say, oh, I trust thee, and it'll all happen just like that. But in one or two cases it does. But you know, when there is self-revelation, desperation comes into a person's life. When they begin to see themselves, what they realize they can't be a blessing, they can't be a worshiper, they're no good. They've recognized spiritual values. That's why he wanted the birthright. That's why he wanted the blessing. They realize that they must, they must go on with the Lord. And yet, there's a blockade. There's, there's no way through. A spiritual desperation takes place. Now, I want you to note about this because it is a symbol of spiritual experience. Becoming a blessing comes out of spiritual experience. Spiritual experience comes out of spiritual crises. Becoming a worshipper comes out of spiritual experience, which goes back to spiritual crisis. Now you see here, the first thing is that Jacob did not wrestle with someone else. He wrestled with the angel of the Lord. He wrestled with the angel of the Lord. Do you know what's wrong with a lot of us? We think that we can somehow or other get through with God by others. Until the Lord forces you and me onto our knees alone with the Lord, there's no hope. All the time we're trying to get to through the Lord through that one. And then we get angry. Hold glance. I wish he lived nearer to the Lord, then I'd get through. Or so-and-so. If only they were near the door, I'd get through. Or you come and you, you speak sort of a long time, pour out your trouble, and you expect somehow that person will be able to completely answer them. Well, sometimes that is so. Fellowship is a, is a blessing. Uh, and in the multitude of counsels, there is safety. All that's right. But, you know, spiritual experience doesn't come second hand, ever. It comes first hand. Not Rachel, not Leah, not Isaac, not Abraham, his grandfather. No, none of them. They'd all got to be out. It was the angel of the Lord and Jacob wrestling together right through the night until finally the thing happened. Now, do mark that. Another thing I want you to notice is that he possessed the angel of the Lord. Do you know Jacob's cry, if you read Chapter 32, you'll find it was, I will not let you go. And that hymn we, we sang, put it like this, confidence in self-despair. That's a wonderful phrase, confidence in self-despair. Here is the desperation, the determination of absolute self-despair. Jacob knew that either he was going to, something was going to break in him or he was going to go out spiritually like a light. And so he took hold of the angel and he would not let him go. I wonder whether you've got to that place. You'll not get anything easily. And until you and I are ready to possess the Lord like that, no, there's no spiritual experience. If you think it's just going to drop on you, you'll, you'll, you'll be here in another 20 years in the same condition you are now. It won't do it. It won't come that way. There are such things as spiritual crises. Now, if you're beginning to see what you're like, if somehow by, the, by living with others you've begun 
First of all, to get annoyed with them, and then finally to wake up to the fact that the root may be in yourself. And that sometimes takes years. It took Jacob, you know, 21 years in all. And I'm not, uh, um, I'm not uh, unsure that it doesn't take some of us about 21 years before finally we wake up to that the root of the matter is in us, in ourselves. When that happens, there's only one answer. Get through to the Lord himself and take hold of him. Of course, God has his times. The time will come. When that time comes, don't let the Lord go. That's an appointment with God. Never let it go. Of course, it's true we have everything in Christ. But there are such times, such things as spiritual crises in our life, where we enter into what he does in him. This is such a time. And the other thing I want you to note about this experience of uh, Jacob is that he called it the face of God. Now, you know, when you have a time like that, that's exactly how you can describe it afterwards. I have seen the face of God. I have seen God face to face and have lived. I know from my own experience that is so. That whatever the desperation before, whatever the agony of the times before, when finally the Lord breaks in upon you, you can only say, I've seen the Lord. Now, how have you seen the Lord? With physical eyes? No, you can't say that. But you've seen the Lord. You've seen him as much as you've seen a human being with physical sight. You've seen the Lord. It doesn't mean it'll be the last time you see the Lord. Often there are more crises to come in our life. But the point is, you see, that it's a, such an experience it is not a thing in itself. If you make it a thing, you lose it. Once you start to talk of it as a blessed experience, it's gone. It becomes, a his, becomes historic. It becomes part of your past. No, such, a, such an experience essentially is an experience of the Lord himself, the face of God. Jacob could have talked about it being a, 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 an experience of being transformed. He didn't. He could have talked about it being an experience of being limited, crucified. No, he didn't. He could have spoken about it as an experience of fullness. He didn't. He said, I have seen the Lord face to face. That's the point. And I also want you to know that he lived for the rest of his life. That's why he was leaning on the top of his staff when he worshipped, you see. The Lord touched him in the thigh. Now the thigh is the strongest part of the human frame. And he touched him in the thigh. And he lived from that day the strong, crafty, deceitful Jacob. He got his limitations. Now what is brokenness? Brokenness always comes with spiritual experience. If a man ever sees the Lord, it comes down to the dust. When people have an experience and start to go up on high and look down upon everyone else, you know, oh, all these poor people, I'm awful sorry for them all. But you can be sure it's not spiritual experience. It's not true spiritual experience. For spiritual experience always brings a man down onto dust where he looks up at everyone else. He's seen the Lord, but he's on the dust, whereas the rest are still standing. 
He's come down. Every time you read in Scripture of a man fleeing the Lord, he's on his face, as dead, before the Lord. And so it was here. This man was broken. Now, what does it mean? Does it mean that he became something altogether different? No, not at all. He was still old Jacob. He'd still got the temperament of Jacob. He'd still got the constitution of Jacob. But he'd got limitations. There was a glory about Jacob now. There was a beauty about Jacob now. There was a presence, a presence in Jacob that was never there before. You could never feel it before. You were always conscious of Jacob. But now it was the Lord, you see. He got his limitations. He was still old Jacob. If you go on to the story, you find his mind was still working like, the, like Jacob, but he couldn't do anything. <laughs> it's the most wonderful story to go on reading what happened to poor Jacob afterwards. Oh, he, he didn't get delivered from it. I'm afraid Rachel went on. You'll find that in the very next chapter, she'd still got the old idols and finally has a row with them. They've got to all be put away, and they were put away, but she'd still got them there, even after his experience. And then later on, you'll find, oh, so many things that his sons did that, my, that brought his, his head down to the grave, as he said, with sorrow. He wasn't delivered from deceitful people. They were all there around him to the end of his days, all those scheming sons. But you see, Jacob was a different one. And he could no longer match deceit with deceit. His nature had been touched by the finger of God, and he was a different man. So, becoming a blessing, becoming a worshipper, comes out of self-revelation. Self-revelation is a necessity in it, and so is spiritual experience. And the other thing that I think we could just leave with you is that after his experience, you will see the Lord weans Jacob away from temporal things. It's a very, very interesting uh, point. He becomes a heavenly person. Heavenly in the right sense of the word. You read through the story. M many people don't, uh, they, they, they study Jacob's life up to the time of Jabba, but very few seem to ever study it up. It's a bit of a sordid story as far as his family goes, not as far as he goes. But you see, afterwards, you know, there was a continued revelation of self in others. All that his sons did. You know, it was a rather sad story. Being touched by God didn't mean that everything was now going to be marvellous in his family. Far, far from it. He had a rough time. But the point was that he was different. He had started to become a blessing and he started to become a worshipper. And you know, it's the most wonderful picture you get of Jacob when his sons come back to him and say, Joseph's dead. And that poor Jacob comes down. He doesn't seem to realize that they're deceiving him. He comes down with sorrow, but all oh, the worship that comes out of his heart to the Lord. Well, he's a man stricken with sorrow, but he's worshiping the Lord. It's an amazing story. You read through it all. How this man becomes a blessing and a worshiper. Something happens. And the other thing I want to say is that the Lord weaned him away during those years from temporal things. First he lost Rachel, whom he loved so much. 
Then he lost Leah. Then he lost Joseph, whom he adored. And then finally, they were going to take away his only other real love, Benjamin. All would fall away. And at the very end, you get a way, an amazing picture of Jacob being taken out of the land that God had given him. He lost the land as well, going down into Egypt. But you know, the point is this. The values were in the land now. That's it. The Lord could take away Rachel now, and Leah, and Joseph, and Benjamin. The man now, it would only grow. He would only become more of a blessing. He would only become more of a Something had happened, you see. He wouldn't try now to match it with his own resources. God had touched him. Finally, the Lord takes him out of the land that he promised to his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac and to him. He's, lo he's lost the land. But, you know, he hasn't really. Later on, of course, his bones were carried back up into the land. As if the Lord was saying, all right, Jacob. I, I don't mock my children. Your bones will find their resting place in the land that I give you. But you see, the thing the Lord was teaching this, this very earthy man, this man so tied down to this world, this man who was so part and parcel of the spirit of this world, the Lord was teaching him, you see, Jacob, it's something eternal and heavenly that we're on. And all the values that are coming out of your life now are going into a construction which is eternal and heavenly. That's what the Lord will teach you and me. If once we come to see ourselves, if then we go on to real spiritual experience, then we shall begin to learn that we've got to hold these things, temporal things, very lightly. Because all the real value is going into an eternal construction of it's all going in there. Every single contribution made in our life through whatever it is, whatever darkness or sorrow or suffering it may be, it's going into an eternal construction. And when we come into that city, we shall see it. All be there. All be there. Every bit of it. Mind out of our experience. Down here. It's gone into an eternal construction. Not made with hands. In the heavens. So shall we thank the Lord together and ask that He will make us a blessing and uh, a worshipper uh, as He made Jacob.